yo, welcome back to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Austin Abbott, and I'm paired with my co-host, Nick DeGroote. Yo. Alex couldn't make it today, but today we're paired with a special guest. Seriously, one of the greatest minds in all of Dynasty and a co-host of the Dynasty Nerds, Garrett Price. What's up, man? How's it going? It's going well, man. It's going well. Thanks so much for having me on. How's everything going? How's life? How's, uh... How are your teams doing, man? What are your rosters looking like? Good? You, you excited for the upcoming <laughs> season? Hopefully. I mean, hopefully we get one, but... Yeah, no, things are going well. Things are going well. Uh, this time of year, it's the most difficult part for me is to not join like 15 new startups because uh, I, I always I always want to be drafting like more teams and new teams and, and things like that, but... Uh, uh, you know, my wife would probably kill me if I, you know, mortgaged her home on all the leagues that I'm in. Uh, so uh, that's that's always the biggest struggle for me each year. Is so uh, each year I only add like two or three, just so it's, it doesn't get too out of hand. Uh, but yeah, if it were up to me, I'd be adding ten every year. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the rosters are looking pretty good. Uh, a lot of players that uh, I'm excited about uh, to see if uh, you know they can break out as rookies or some of the guys from last year break out. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a fun time of year because it's mostly just like evaluate your roster season because there's really not a lot of new news coming out at this point and so it's it's really tough to gauge some of the values of, of these players and so you have the opportunity to try to buy low or sell high on some of these guys before any real breaking news happens with trading camps and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a fun time of year. Yeah, man, you nailed it. How's uh? How's the faith and fantasy football going? You know what, man? It's going really good. I did a, uh, I did kind of like my, more or less like my first season uh, for, and it finished up around end of March there. And uh, I actually have uh, some emails out right now for some, some guys that are going to come on again. And then obviously I'll do the ones that I do solo. Uh, so that'll probably be starting back up sometime in July. And I'll do another like six or eight episodes of it, and I'll kind of be doing them in chunks like that. But uh, uh, we were gonna—I was gonna have Andy Holloway from the Fantasy Footballers on last. No, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. He got really sick though. It was and it was like right as Corona was starting, so it was kind of like, oh no, like not Andy. Uh, but he, uh, he's doing fine now. We've talked a couple of times since then. So he's gonna, he's gonna hop on sometime hopefully here in July, uh, assuming schedules work out. Uh, I think, uh, Bobby Sylvester from, uh, yeah, Fantasy he, Pros. Oh yeah, Fantasy Pros, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he, he's probably gonna hop on as well. Uh, so yeah, so it should be some fun, some fun guys to, to talk with. And then the other ones I'll just do, uh, uh, solo and do more of like the devotional time. But, but yeah, those have been really fun. That's awesome, man! Wow, I'm I'm jealous. I'd love, I'd love to uh, pick their brains. You know, I just got back from Fort Lauderdale recently on Sunday. Actually, you know, my parents they just bought a condo down there. Me and my oh, nice. yeah, my girlfriend and I we went down for about five days. Um, it was her birthday, so you know, we took our first vacation together. Met some college buddies, hit up some new bars. Uh, you know, had some really good food. Beach was great. Just, just a great time. You know, man. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Hey, Gary, let me ask you a question real quick before we kick things off. How, yeah, absolutely. How old are you, man? Uh, I just turned 30. Wow. All right. So I just saw, yeah, your birthday was, I was checking out your Twitter, you know, before we got kicked things off. I just saw your birthday was June 13th, so happy belated. That's awesome, man. Huge I appreciate bir- it. Huge birthday. God. Absolutely. Now I'm a, apparently like I have to be an adult now. I'm not quite sure how that works yet, but we'll find out. Is is the midlife crisis hitting you yet? Well, not yet, not yet. Uh, but uh, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's speaking around the corner. Yeah, man. We uh, we went to a bunch of bars down in Florida. Do you still get that feeling? You know, when you walk into a new bar for the first time, like you know, you just check out the atmosphere, you just see everything. It just, you know, we went to a bunch of bars, and man, it's just, I don't know. There's something special about going for the first time, and it, it was really it was really enjoyable. You know. No, I'm a, you know, I do enjoy going to a new bar here and there, but for me, I'm a big, I'm a big foodie, uh, so I love, like, checking out, like, local restaurants and stuff, like, they might not be, like, the big name places when I go visit, uh, 
uh, but they're the places like the locals are like, yes, like this is the place that we eat. Uh, those are the places I love to find. So I've lived in a few different spots, uh, my wife and I. And then, uh, yeah, when we vacation, we always try to find like those, uh, those, those diamonds in the rough, those treasures that are in those, those cities. Yeah, man, I hear that. It's awesome. Once again, I'm Austin Abbott. Thank you for tuning in to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Dynasty Pulse. I want to thank everybody for subscribing, reviewing the show, listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you tune in every week. A few weeks back, we dropped our website, DynastyPulse.com. We have general information. We write reports on sleepers, breakout players every week. Our podcast is linked to it. It's really some exciting stuff. Go tell us why. Nick's way too high on Tua, or I'm way too high on Calvin Ridley. Never too high on Tua. But, uh, all right, so today Nick and I are going to be speaking with guest speaker Garrett Price on one long segment. We're going to be talking about rookie running backs for about the next 40 minutes or so. So, Garrett, you're the guest, man. We're going to put you first, all right? You know, take it away, man. Give man, us, so give there's, us a guy. There's, there's so many good running backs in this class. You know, this is the class that we had been talking about for two or three seasons now it's you know when when the 2020 class comes you know that's when we're going to be able to get all of these running backs and uh, for the most part that really came true especially because a lot of the the bigger names the the higher uh, draft capital guys went to really good landing spots overall and so you know you really have four guys um maybe maybe three but but i would say four guys uh that you, you could almost plug and play right away and should only get better as their situations and the incumbent players clear out, which I don't think will take too long for these guys. But you have Jonathan Taylor, you have Clyde edwards alaire you have J.K. Dobbins, and you have DeAndre Swift. All four of those guys uh, overall went to really good landing spots. And, and Swift, you could argue, was maybe eh, okay. Uh, but the other three, I, I would make a strong argument that literally – the three of them could not have gone to a better team for their specific skill sets. And so when you have that type of talent mixed with situation and scheme fit, it just, it's, it's really fantasy gold. Yeah, so man. I don't know. I don't know which one you want me to talk about first, or if you, you know, that was just my, uh, my, oh, my overarching thought on the, on these early guys. So is there, is there somebody you want me to go through first or some of you guys have questions on, or you like more or less, or, or what are you thinking here? Um, I mean, for me, I you know, just going back off what you said, it's pretty interesting because a lot of these guys did end up in very similar situations to what they did were were in in college. Um, you know, we see Clyde Edwards-Alaire go to another extremely efficient offense. We see Dobbins in in Baltimore with an RPO heavy offense. Um, Taylor's in Indianapolis where they have a great offensive line. You know, just like he had in Wisconsin. Acres bad offensive line, just like Florida State. And, you know, Swift's in an RBBC again. And, um, you know, it, it's exciting because a lot of these guys are in great situations. But like you did say, I am a little turned off by Swift, if anything, because of Detroit. But, I mean, other than that, these guys, they're straight gold. Um, I'm really excited for this class. But I would like to start with Taylor, straight up. Um, he was my 1-1. I had the first rookie pick in our draft. I took him, and I felt great about it. And he was your Nick. He was your one one before uh, pre draft too, correct? Yes, I had Taylor above everybody else. Uh, as did I, and and Garrett. We saw that you had JT number one post draft. Did you have JT? Uh, where did you have JT pre draft? So pre draft, I had Jonathan Taylor third, um, and it wasn't a I don't like Jonathan Taylor because um, I I had him very highly graded. I really liked Swift, Dobbins, and Taylor a lot, um, and I and I had Clyde Edwards-Alaire rated fairly high as well. Um, but my thing for Jonathan Taylor versus Swift and and um, J.K. Dobbins was I was I thought of those three guys, he was the most scheme dependent, uh, and the reason for that being is he is an excellent downhill runner fits great in that outside zone type of scheme and he's going to run and get what's blocked uh, very much similar to uh, Adrian Peterson style where if the play's there or not he's going to make that play happen there uh, whereas 
Swift and Dobbins are are much more creative, uh, a little bit better at you know finding the hole even if it's not there, finding another gap, finding another seam, and specifically behind the line of scrimmage, I thought they were a little bit better at um, making guys miss when a play breaks down. And so that was the that was the big knock for me. I wasn't overly worried about the fumbles. Um, and I think he's a good enough pass catcher that I wasn't overly turned off by that, although I definitely gave Dobbins and Swift a bump because of the pass catching. Uh, but, but we've seen this with, with Wisconsin running backs often where they just, they just don't utilize them that much in the passing game. So it's hard to really – it's more of an incomplete grade more than like you know an A, B, C, D. You know, it's, it's more of an incomplete. And so that, that was really my only thing with him was, you know, if he went to a team with a bad offensive line, like if Tampa Bay would have drafted him, uh, or if, uh, i trying to think, Houston has an okay offensive line, but if, you know, Houston drafted him, or, you know, a situation like that, I would have been a little bit more nervous for him. But with him landing in this spot, he is the best runner between the tackles in this class. I think I don't even think it's that close. Uh, he is the best between the tackles. And you see that elite speed once he one cut, puts his foot in the ground and go. You're not catching Jonathan Taylor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think this was just really a an elite prospect that might have been a little bit more tight cast, but he went to that perfect situation. And so that's what bumped him up to that spot at uh, number one overall for me. Yeah, man, I, I think you absolutely nailed it. The dude's 226 and ran a 439. You, you know that's crazy behind that offensive line too and i i cannot stress enough how happy i am to hear you say that you're not concerned about the fumbling or the pass volume because everybody knocks jt for that and i i can't get behind it man you know i think fumblings are i think fumbles are so easily coached and i think he could totally get over that in the nfl like completely and i also think you know like you said wisconsin running backs we just don't see them using the passing game in college James White was a Wisconsin running back, and he's one of the best PPR backs to own right now. Or he was, yep. but still. And, I mean, even Melvin, you know, Melvin. Very good pass catching back, yep. Yeah, both Melvin Melvin was great. Yeah, both from Wisconsin. And Melvin's been great as a PPR back, too, and, you know, wasn't used highly in the passing game at all at Wisconsin. So I think he has the upside. But, again, it's it's something that we haven't seen yet. So it is a little sketchy, but I think he has all the potential in the world. Yep, I'm with you. And uh, a little backstory. Nick knows this about me, but Garrett, I'm I'm a huge Colts fan, right? So, okay. um, I put down, I put down like a $200 bet. God, when the uh, NFL draft was going on, and um, I think it was using DraftKings that Jonathan Taylor would be drafted 40th or earlier in the NFL draft, and sure, and, and sure enough, he fell to 41st. So I lost my bet. Oh but, no! But he went to the Colts and. Oh my God, man! I I was literally. I'm sure you so... would gladly pay that 200 bucks <laughs> for him to get drafted to the Colts. Yeah, I was so thrilled, like, like I I didn't even care about money. What after a bittersweet that. moment! I know, but God. <laughs> no, it, it was funny. Even uh, I was doing one of the film nerd sessions on Jonathan Taylor, and I, I literally remember it as an exact quote. I was like, "Look, right now, Jonathan Taylor is my RB three, but if he goes to Indianapolis with that offensive line, I can't help but put him yeah, as my RB one." And so it was funny that that was the exact situation that he ended up going to. And the Colts traded up with Cleveland, correct? Isn't that what happened? Yes. Yep. Right? They traded up yeah. with Cleveland. You're correct. God, that was the Browns fan, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I am. Yep. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, it's it's a rough life. <laughs> it's a rough life. But uh, we persevered. But but yeah, man. I had um, again. I I don't want to reiterate what you guys said because you guys nailed it. But you know, three consecutive two thousand yard seasons, and and I don't know what more you want from the guy. And now placed behind a top five O line in the NFL, Quentin Nelson, and and man, it's it's just like a match made in heaven. Not even being a homer, man. It's just there's so much that makes sense for Jonathan Taylor and redraft and. Well, hell, even more in Dynasty, of course. But um, yeah. let's uh, yeah, let's move on, man. Let's let's talk about his arch nemesis, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Can we call him that? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um. So yeah, I mean, I had picks one and two actually in our rookie draft. So I just took both these guys, and I again, I feel great about it. But um, 
I mean, there's not much to dislike about Clyde Edwards-Alaire except the fact that he only had one real year of production in college. And I don't really think that's a knock because of the offense he's going into with Kansas City. And I, I mean, I don't know how much people really buy into it, but the fact that Mahomes pretty much handpicked him, I think that's pretty that's sick. So cool. And I don't know. I, I like it. I think that's a plus for him, obviously. But he's he's like he's really compact. He's five seven, two oh seven, BMI of thirty two. He's he's a big dude. You know, he's he's compact. He's not overly tall, obviously, but he's compact, man. He's got one of the nastiest spin moves I have ever seen. It is pretty ridiculous, and he had 1,800 yards from scrimmage this past year. That's very nice, and his burst score is up there too, so I, I'm a big fan of that. But I like him a lot. I like his pass-catching upside, obviously. I think he could easily finish as a running back one. Might be a spicy take, but I could see him I could see him finessing his way into the top 12 this year. I wouldn't be surprised, and I hope he does. I'm with you. I think he could absolutely be an RB1 this year. I actually uh... – put out a thread as to why I thought that Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Alaire could both be RB1s this coming season, uh, and then obviously beyond as well. But uh, the the nice part about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, look, you could tell me that you take Clyde Edwards-Alaire at one and Jonathan Taylor at two, and honestly, I don't really have any issue with it. You could tell me you take Dobbins one, and I have no issue with it. Any one of those three I think are just fine, Uh, but but Clyde Edwards-Alaire is my number two guy. But the nicest part about him is the fact that his floor is so high because of the pass catching. You know, Jonathan Taylor could have weeks where, you know, I don't, I still don't think he's going to be this PPR monster. You know, he's probably going to be getting around 30 receptions a year. So I think that's kind of roughly what, what I would expect for him. Whereas Clyde Edwards or Lair could easily double that and maybe even more so. Uh, You know, you you could tell me that he gets 70 catches, 75 catches as a rookie, and I would say, yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. And that's the nice part is, you know, on any given week, uh, maybe maybe the rushing totals just aren't there, and he only had, you know, 10 carries for, you know, 38 yards, and it was was a rough day at the office. But, oh, yeah, he happened to also have five catches for – 45 yards and your day is still just fine because his floor is so high because of that pass catching you man you nailed it like (laughs) i don't even i don't even want to reiterate it you just nailed it let me ask you let me ask you a question real quick who do you think is affected more by the other uh top running back on their roster do you think that marlon mack affects jonathan taylor more than damian williams affects clyde edwards this season um if I had to pick one, I would say Damian Williams is more of the one that would have an effect. More of a threat, yeah. Yeah, I don't think either one really is. The reason I say that is because Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack are similar type of players. Uh, they're, they're both between the tackles grinders. So when you look at those two guys, it's like, why would you not just give the ball to the better player? Um, so I think by week you know, three, Taylor's going to be getting – 80, 70, 80% of those carries. Um, whereas with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, yes, Williams is a, a pass catcher as well. But I think I am a little bit worried, even though Edwards-Alaire is compact, he's not necessarily uh, – he, he's not Maurice Jones-Drew, uh, where even though Maurice Jones-Drew was smaller, he was, he was strong. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is, is a little bit more finesse. I'm not saying he can't power through at times. I'm, I'm not trying to knock him in any way. Um, but but I don't, I don't, he doesn't strike me as a guy at the goal line that I want to give the ball to. And so that's where I could see Williams potentially also playing a role um, just because neither one of them are that true between the tackles grinder. And I think they might share some of that at times. Oh, man, yeah, I, I completely agree with that, actually. Like I said before, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about the spin move. He's just so elusive, man. Oh, my and gosh, so so much so. Actually, I'm a, I'm a Nerd Herd member myself, so I've been – before the draft, I, I was watching a lot of film, um, spending a lot of time in there. I had so many picks this year. I'm in a rebuild. I, I just wanted to make sure I got it right. Um, so what I noticed with Alaire – or Edwards Alaire, rather, he – he is very elusive. He the spin moves are ridiculous. He does a lot of jump cuts that I think are amazing. There was one yep. run that a touchdown run actually. 
he did like three consecutive jump cuts and I was like, oh my God. But he breaks a lot of tackles, man. And, and I agree with you. He's not a big bruiser like MJD was, but I, I like him in the open field or even one-on-ones. Like I think he, he can make guys miss, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. He can make, he can make guys miss in a phone booth. And that's, that's the crazy part about him is, and sometimes you see with guys that have those quick twitch muscles and can make guys miss like that. Sometimes they're not very efficient with their movements and they try to do too much. I don't see that often out of Edward Zelaire. He's very efficient with his movements, very calculated. He's not trying to do too much. He's just trying to do what he needs to do to get to the next play. Whereas other guys are trying to make all these crazy moves and make guys fall and all this stuff. And yes, that's so fun for highlights when it works, but it's not efficient for actual running back play. It's going to be exciting regardless of, of even if they disappoint a little bit this year, you know that both of their futures are so bright. JT and CEH, of course. Um, another guy I want to move on to. Are you cool moving on from this? Absolutely. Um, next player that I want to move on to is, you know, the next biggest running back, J.K. Dobbins. Um, I want to talk about, of course, his outlook, you know, his situation, landing spot, draft capital. Um, but before we get to all of that, it's so mind-blowing to me that he had – you can argue a better college resume than Ezekiel Elliott. You know, both at Ohio State, yeah. um, J.K. had more rushing yards. He had more receptions. He had more receiving yards. He had almost the same amount of touchdowns. Like, J.K. Dobbins was phenomenal from day one to the day that he left at Ohio State, you know? just Absolutely. Yeah, he, he was a fantastic player. And, you know, you saw it right away his freshman year. And he had kind of a slightly disappointing uh, sophomore campaign. Uh-huh. And uh, that kind of got guys, including me, a little bit, like, a little leery. And then he just showed off his, his junior year. Like, he was just showing out. Uh, so, yeah, he had he had a fantastic career. Now, I, I got a question for you. You were at the Combine and everything. Um, so, I know you're also an Ohio State fan. So, you've obviously been just been grinding Dobbins for years, probably. So. Right. With him not participating in the combine, first off, how how negatively or just in general, how do you feel that impacted his draft stock? And second, what numbers do you think he would have put up in, say, I don't know, the 40 or whatever, if he had participated? Uh, I do think it hurt a little bit. Um, I don't think it was anything crazy because there wasn't any major injury concerns. It was more or less... You know, that ankle was still a little bit potentially from Michigan. And, um, you know, there, there was all of that in the, the national championship game, or the, not the national championship, but the, um, uh, I guess, the semifinal game. Uh, but I, I don't think it affected it too much because it wasn't like there was a super red flag like it was, you know, an ACL or a broken foot or anything like that. It was, it was just a tweaked ankle. So he was going to wait till his pro day to do it. And like a lot of players, never got the opportunity to show what he could do at his pro day. So um, my, my guess is it might have hurt a tad, uh, but realistically, I, I don't think it did too much. If I had to guess, uh, there were some people that there was this tweet that went around, uh, and it was the you know the best forty times ever clocked while at Ohio State. And Terry McLaurin's was right around. Uh, what he ran at the combine, which was I believe a four three eight or four three nine, um, and it said Dobbins on there was a four three two. Now, I don't know what happened the day that they were doing those times. There's no way Dobbins was running a four three two. I love J.K. Dobbins. He was my number <laughs> one back coming out of uh, coming into this season or coming into uh, uh, the rookie drafts. Uh, but there's no way he was running a 4-3-2. Uh, my guess is he would probably have been more in the 4-4-5 to 4-4-8 range. Um, would have kind of been my guess. So I think he would have been quicker than a 4-5, but not by a bunch. Um, yeah, as far as the other the other things, I'm not quite sure. But I, I think he would have performed just fine. That would have been my guess for the 40. Yeah, I mean, and even then, those are still pretty great numbers. Um, Absolutely. But coming coming into college uh coming from high school he was this crazy crazy athlete putting up ridiculous numbers so i'm sure he would have tested amazing still i probably so uh gary i want to ask you another question about jk dobbins you know so 
the landing spot, you can argue, is, you know, I think it's phenomenal, but this year, of course, redraft, I'm a little hesitant. Um, would love to get him later, but, but you know, Mark Ingram just coming off a phenomenal year. Um, the, be- the beauty of the landing spot is the Baltimore Ravens have a potential out after this season, you know. So, so of course, I expect Ingram to still have a vital role in that Baltimore offense, you know. And, of course, Lamar is going to have plenty of carries as well. So, so. What I'm saying is J.K. Dobbins' volume this year may not be super appealing. It may be lower than, than I would like it to be in the rest of the fantasy and dynasty community. But but I I really feel confident in the player and the landing spot and, and moving forward from 2021 on that he is going to be locked and loaded. You know, what, Are you on board with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I understand redraft uh, people wanting to fade him a little bit. I have quite a few J.K. Dobbins shares because, honestly, I think the difference between, you know, especially when we're looking at, you know, the other players that could be involved in, like, super flex formats, the difference between, you know, taking Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, which at times are even going ahead of the quarterbacks uh, of Burrow and Tua, which I wouldn't do that in super flex, but I've seen it happen quite a few times. Uh, so, you know, they're going at 1-1, 1-2, and then Dobbins is usually falling all the way to 4-5-6. Uh, in these super flex formats and so uh, I ended up getting a lot of J.K. Dobbins and I fully understand that right away Ingram is absolutely going to be a problem and he, he's going to be in the way a little bit but here's a couple things to consider one Mark Ingram is 30 years old right now uh, and as a 30 year old which you know he was a great player in his prime but he's not in his prime anymore but he ran for over five or he ran for five yards of carry uh, with with Baltimore, but even more so, Gus Edwards, who is the definition of a jack, uh, <laughs> ran for, ran for five point three yards per carry in this offense last year with one hundred and thirty carries. So that's the thing. I think this narrative of J.K. Dobbins won't get any touches. Uh, I think is not true because even if he's just in the Gus Edwards role as the RB two on this team. That's 130 carries right there. Uh, and if he dares, cuts into Mark Ingram's role, which I could easily see happening. And, and Mark Ingram has been banged up at times over his career as well. J.K. Dobbins could easily eclipse that. I'm, I'm expecting closer to the 160, 170 range uh, for J.K. Dobbins this season. And if Mark Ingram's putting up five yards to carry uh, and Gus Edwards is putting up 5.3, just imagine what a young, healthy J.K. Dobbins could do in that offense. That's, it's scary, man. You nailed it. Um, didn't Baltimore just set the NFL record for most rushing yards in a single season? They had like 3,200 and change. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Crazy. You know, I mean, just it's fascinating when you think about it. Uh, let's move on to our next running back. I want to talk about DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. Yeah, Nick, start us off. All right, so I have a, I have just have a lot of data for this um, for Swift and another guy who I'll bring up. Um, so earlier today, I, I did a little research. I dug into the top twelve running backs from last year slash consensus dynasty top twelve running backs, um, and that consisted of Saquon, Zeke, Kamara, McCaffrey, Mixon, Chubb, Dalvin, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. Leonard Fournette, Miles Sanders, and Aaron Jones. So, some metrics that I, I was going through. Day one or two draft capital, 91% of them have that. A BMI of 30 or higher, 83% of them have that. A 40 time of 4, 5, 6 or faster, 91%. 100 or higher weight adjusted speed score, 75%. 120 or better burst score from playerprofiler.com, 63%. So I feel like the 120 is a little bit high, but whatever. Um, And then an 8% or higher target share in college, and 75% of those had that. So this is what makes up a top 12 dynasty running back. You want these guys to hit these thresholds. You want to see these prospects come out and just deliver on all six of these metrics. And there, in this class, there are three guys or three of the top, you know, however many guys that have this. 
Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and Cam Akers. So, again, you know, the landing spot for Swift is a little bit of a turnoff for me. Um, but, again, he hits he hits all of these thresholds. He has the makeup of a potential top 12 dynasty running back. And he, uh, if you watch the film, it adds up, too. He's, he's very elusive. He puts his foot in the ground, one cut, and he's gone. And he's done it in a running back by committee all throughout college and arguably was the RB1 for the past two seasons for many people, including myself. Um, so I, I think the sky's the limit for Swift. And, again, a guy we'll touch on later is Cam Akers, who, who I absolutely love as well. But, I mean, that's, that's what I got for Swift. Um, I'm, I'm real excited about what he can do in the NFL. Garrett, a long time oh – God, it was probably over a year ago, man. I think I, I found it on my timeline recently. You put up a post on DeAndre Swift you know, way before the NFL draft, uh, gassing him up. Is that correct? Yeah, I was uh, I was a big DeAndre Swift guy. It was uh, DeAndre Swift was kind of it, it was him and Travis Etienne for a while battling for my top spot, uh, and then it was him and, and J.K. Dobbins battling for my top spot. Uh, and so he's been he's been in the conversation as the top running back in the class for me, uh, just as a pure player. Uh, basically from the onset. So, yeah, I, I absolutely believe there probably was a post for me uh, <laughs> gassing him up for sure. Um, yeah, man, the, uh, he's very polarizing. I think you can make an argument for, for both sides. Uh, but I saw an interesting stat. Detroit has had one running back since Barry Sanders, you know, 1998, to rush for multiple 1,000-yard seasons, which that was James Stewart back in uh, 2000 and 2002. And he's also the only Detroit running back with 250-plus carries since 1999. So, um, you know... It's not a good track record. Yeah, it's... And I understand there's outliers. I understand he's a phenomenal talent. I'm not not disagreeing with anybody. But uh, Bob Quinn with the Detroit Lions literally came out and said, we uh, we drafted DeAndre Swift. He's going to be part of that package. You know, talking about the running back committee. And I know everybody in Dynasty and Fantasy running back committee is like the last term you ever want to hear of course but um i I don't know man this year i'm i'm probably gonna stray away from him in in redraft unless i can really get him you know late late rounds but but uh in dynasty of course different story and we are talking dynasty uh love the player and again i understand that in most situations you should take talent over landing spot but uh It'll be interesting to see how things play out. That's for sure, you know. Yeah, I uh, I do. I, I love I love Swiss talent and ability, uh, and I'm not I'm not in any way, shape, or form an anti carry on guy, uh, but it but it's at the very Who? least peculiar uh, that they would spend that high of draft capital on a running back, um, and and just make him solely a committee back. My guess is, um, you know, it, it's it's a situation where the the cream rises to the top. Carry-on's had a hard time staying healthy as well. Uh, and the other thing that I think people forget about is Matthew Stafford, although he is a very big-armed quarterback, uh, he is a very uh, willing passer to the running back. He actually had the fourth most – I don't know what it was this past season, and it was kind of weird because of his injury partway through the year. Uh, but the season before, he had the uh, the fourth uh, highest rate of pass attempts to the running back out of any of the quarterbacks in the league, uh, which is kind of a number you wouldn't really think out of a guy like Matthew Stafford. You think of those long bombs down the field, but uh, he, he really does like to utilize the running back in the passing game. So I think um, I, I understand the hesitancy, and, and there's that part of me as well that makes me a little nervous, especially comparing him with the other three. Uh, but then I go back and watch his tape and see how special he is, and uh, I, I still want I still want DeAndre Sh- Swift shares in Dynasty. But I'm with you in, in redraft. I'd be a little bit more hesitant. Man, that's awesome that you say that about Stafford. If Al was on the pod with us tonight, he would go crazy for that. He's a huge <laughs> Stafford, Stafford fan. Oh, he huge. loves him. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we've we've seen that in the past from Stafford. Now that I think about it, we Theo Riddick was a PPR machine for a little bit, for like a, a couple of seasons. He was really yeah. good in the passing game. Uh, I would Reggie love to see him do. Too. What was that? Reggie Bush was there for a little bit too. Oh yeah. man, I forgot about Bush. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully he checks down to Swift a lot. I would really love to see what Swift could do in the league. Uh, oh, real quick, man, I'm gonna give a shout out to. I don't know who was running the Dynasty Nerds page one day, but this is this was a little bit over a year ago. I traded. Um, I reached out to you guys on Twitter. Traded. Um, Carry on Johnson, a third and a fourth for Dalvin Cook. You guys, you guys told me to do it. I don't know if it was you, Rich, Matt. I don't know who was on Twitter, but you guys told me to pull the trigger, and I did. And God, it paid dividends this year. <laughs> so. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that worked out. Yeah, yeah it, it could have been me, uh, but yeah, I have no idea who it was. Yeah. It's, uh, it was before uh, I had a lot of them go through. So it was before Cook ever did anything. So, oh man, it, you guys made me look like a genius. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Let's uh let's talk some Cam Akers real quick. How about uh, uh God, I was looking at PFF. F- FSU had the 129th ranked offensive line out of 130 eligible teams, um, and Cam Akers gets paired with actually one of the worst offensive lines once again in Los Angeles. You know, with the Rams. Um, I found that kind of ironic. Feel bad for the guy. Can't catch a break, but. Um, I, I'm actually very high on Cam Akers. I have him right there with J.K. Dobbins. Um, you know, he his senior year, he was you know phenomenal. He had almost 1,400 total yards, 18 touchdowns. He had, you know, this really jumped out to me, is he had five yards per carry behind such a horrendous, and I mean horrendous, offensive line at FSU. Um, and, and listen to this, ready? Todd Gurley, who's now no longer there, averaged 297 touches over the, his past five seasons, or all five seasons, that he spent with the Rams. Um, he has second-round draft capital, Cam Akers, 52nd overall. Uh, what am I missing? I mean, like, there's so much that makes sense for this kid. This kid could be a fringe RB1 or, hell, early RB2, you know, right out of the gate. I, I, I'm a big Cam Akers fan. Yeah, Garrett, where do you have him versus somebody like DeAndre Swift? So, I uh, I almost feel bipolar when I talk about Cam Akers. Um, <clears throat> because from a raw athleticism standpoint, you can make an argument that he is the best athlete out of all of these running backs. And I'm including Jonathan Taylor in that, that equation. Uh, as far as his movement skill set, uh, his ability to catch the ball... Uh, his power, his speed, all of that combined, he is a, I mean, he's basically, if you went into a lab, that's kind of what you would want your, your running back to look like and the, the skills and attributes you want him to have. So from a from that perspective, I love Cam Akers, and I'm all in on Cam Akers. The part that makes me nervous is watching some of his tape, uh, he does not seem to process uh and and plan ahead as well as a lot of these other running backs and so there's a lot of times where i think he misses holes um i think there's times where he uh almost uh it's tough to describe because it's it's almost like that that bad offensive line that he had for so long just taught him some really uh some really poor things to do as a running back And so that's my concern with him is he's going to another situation with a bad offensive line. Uh, Will he be able to and will he be coached up to the point um, that he will become the running back that his ability says he can versus what what we have right now? And so it's a very it's a very risk reward pick. You can tell me that Cam Akers ends up having just as good of a career as anyone in this class. And I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You could tell me he flames out after three seasons, and I would say, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, it all depends how risk-averse you are taking Cam Akers. Gotcha. No, that's really well said, man. Um, Does Daryl Henderson or um, Malcolm Malcolm Brown concern you? Nah. Nah. Um, I mean... Henderson's Henderson's fast. Um, I think I think he got a little overhyped last year. Oh my god! Um, you remember the hype as soon as they drafted well, him? It was crazy. it was ridiculous. It, it especially because you know that was when all the injury stuff with Gurley was coming out, and so everybody thought that Henderson was going to replace it. And 
and always he's just kind of just been a change of pace back. So, yeah, I'm not overly concerned. I do think they're a part of the equation, um, but I think the vast majority of the touches are going to go to Cam Akers. We're talking 65 70%, I think, are going to go to Cam Akers. Do you have anybody in mind that you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, we just hit, like, the yeah. top five guys, real, like, for a pretty good amount of time, actually. Any rookie running back, man, it could be Zach Moss, it could be Perrine, literally anybody, you know. I saw you were pretty low on Eno, but... <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm not a huge Eno guy. But, uh, the two guys that I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm well, I'll, I'll say three guys, and then I'll touch on them quick, that I'm a little bit lower on or maybe quite a bit lower on than, than most people. Uh, I'm not a big Eno guy. Uh, he did, however, land in a very good situation, and so I think he gets a slight bump for that. Uh, but he's he's undersized. He's not very powerful. And although he had good uh, receiving production, he actually didn't have the best hands. It wasn't very fluid. Uh, he had some drops. Uh, so I think he's a, an okay player. But I wasn't. Now I was surprised he fell all the way to the seventh. Uh, but I, I kind of had him pegged more as a fourth, fifth round guy anyway. Uh, so I wasn't quite as surprised as everyone else when he got out of that, you know, third round range. Um, I'm not a big, I'm not a big AJ Dillon fan. Uh, when when I watched his tape, it was more of a looks like Tarzan plays like Jane kind of thing for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I've never seen somebody that big uh, tiptoe around that much. Uh, and I'm sure he's a, a wonderful human being, and so I don't want to like trash the dude. Uh, but overall, I, I think he's uh, you know an, an underwear warrior and, and looks great at the combine. But but overall, I, I just don't see it uh, in his game. And the third running back that I'm a little bit lower on than everybody else is Antonio Gibson. And it's not because I think Gibson's a bad player, uh, but there's two things for me. One. We just haven't seen a, a long track record. Uh, he had 44 catches in college and like 33 rushes. So there's just not a lot to go on now. He was crazy, crazy explosive uh, on those plays. So you definitely have to give him credit there. But it's also Washington's utilization of him. Uh, everything I'm hearing is he's going to be um, basically a gadget player for them. So, you know, take a couple snaps at running back, a couple at receiver, then do some like uh, direct snaps and then do, you know, I think they're going to use them all over the place. And a lot of times those Swiss army knives, although they're cool and they, they uh, are, are good for a real NFL team. It's hard to trust the consistency with them uh, compared to like a normal running back that, you know, is going to get, you know, 15 rushes and five targets a game. So I'm a little bit lower on him as well. Um, I want to ask you about Eno, Eno again, real quick. Um, sure. So seventh round, obviously unappealing and, and just like you, we were. I was really shocked that he fell that late. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I had him pegged for a fourth rounder, like you said. Um, but Kenyon Drake lands there, right, in Arizona. He's on a one-year right. one deal, correct? Uh, uh, as of right now, yep. You know, when I saw Eno land there, I thought, wow, this could – and I don't, I'm not crazy about the talent, like you said, but, but the landing spot, man. If, if things went south with Drake, if there was an injury, um, if – if they just didn't want to pay him big money because, you know, teams clearly don't have to pay running backs big money anymore to succeed. Just look right. at Raheem Mozart and the Niners and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs with um, Daryl uh, Damian, Williams. D- Damian Williams. rather. Um, so what if Arizona said after one year, you know, things didn't work out too well with Drake and, and they wanted to roll Eno, you know, could he really get a huge boost mo- moving forward? It's definitely a possibility. Um, and like I said, I don't think he's a terrible player. But at this point, I think if that were to happen with Drake, I would probably, if I was a betting man, I would put more money on Edmonds than I would Eno Benjamin at this point. God, Chase Edmonds is just so forgotten. I mean, that's, that's such a great point. It really is. Um, I got to I gotta ask you this. We had Kyle... Um, we had Kyle Matthew on the show last week. And I asked... Yeah, yeah, he's great. Love Kyle. I, I asked him this, and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask everybody. Vaughn or Rojo? Go. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, it's Vaughn for me. Uh, oh, I was a big Vaughn. Wow. I was a big Vaughn fan uh, wow. coming out. Uh, he was kind of my sleeper guy. Wow. And uh, 
then he kind of blew up because he went to Tampa Bay and everybody got really excited about him. And uh, I think his value is a little overinflated right now. So for him being my guy, I don't have nearly as many shares as you would think uh, because I do think people kind of pumped up that landing spot too much. Uh, but when I say Vaughn over Rojo, it, it's not a uh, an indictment on either one. It's more of uh, if, if I had to take one of them, that's who I would take. But right now, I think it's 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 really really murky, and there's a real case to be made that neither one end up being the guy. Uh, so for me, even though I am willing to take Vaughn at times, I do think Rojo is is a better player than he's gotten credit for, and I could really see a situation with them just splitting uh, carries and and really kind of making both of them more or less irrelevant. It's got to be one of the most debatable. Uh, running back duos it's it, I can't even put my finger on it I don't I don't I truly don't know which side I, I lean I, I kind of want to lean Rojo some days and then I watch some tape and I see the hype all on Twitter about Vaughn and god it's it's difficult man I'm, I'm better off flipping a coin some days I feel like but. probably so probably so um one last guy before we get out of here because uh as much as I did like Vaughn I don't know if there was anybody that I hyped up more uh, than DJ Dallas oh, yeah. uh, in the offseason. I was waiting for this moment to come on the pod. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can't we can't talk about, about running backs in this class and we not talk about DJ Dallas. Uh, so, so yeah, I am a, I am a DJ Dallas truther. Uh, I think he's a very, very talented running back. Um, it, it, it is interesting. He did get the fourth-round draft capital, so it's nothing uh, spectacular. Uh, but it's not it's it's not bad either, uh, and and I think it was really deceivingly a very very good landing spot because Penny is most likely not going to be ready for the season. We have Chris Carson there, which we assume is going to be ready for the season, but with how unpredictable this this off season's been, we truly don't know if that is the case. Uh, nobody's really gotten to uh, evaluate him because of COVID, so we really don't know where he's at. And that that hip is a is a can be very problematic. Carson's also struggled with fumbles uh, and staying healthy in the past as well. So, if there's anybody that could rise up the ranks and have an opportunity to take a job real quick, it, it's 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 him. And on top of that, we see this all the time with Pete Carroll, where he is willing to start whoever he thinks the best player is draft capital all of that kind of stuff does not matter i mean just just carson alone uh shows that because of him playing over uh rashad penny but even before that you had thomas rawls uh that was getting some run and uh you you've had all kinds of different running backs that have have been given some opportunity there so the nice part too about dj is it's not just the the running game he is great 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 he, had, he actually graded out as my best uh, in pass pro in this class out of all of the all of the running backs and so he can protect the quarterback really well good hands as a former wide receiver uh, so they can utilize him in that and he, he returned kicks and so he can be a special teams guy great kid uh, I own him on a ton of a ton of rosters because you can draft him in the third fourth round um, and, and get crazy upside now could he fall flat on his face? Absolutely. Uh, but I think the upside is just too much to ignore that late in your rookie drafts. Yeah, man, I, I love that. Um, the fact that he was a former wide receiver that kind of converted shows that he's got the pass-catching ability for sure and just kind of understands the aspect of that game, which is really a, a nice boost for me. And the fact that he did get the fourth-round draft cap with what he did in college being very minimal, I think that's very important too. It shows that a lot of teams you know, do like – what they've seen on film, regardless of what the stats show. Now, how do you feel about Carlos Hyde signing that one-year deal, one-year deal in Seattle, being an Ohio State guy as well? Uh, you think that yeah. kind of caps could cap his opportunity this year? Uh, it's definitely possible. My guess is uh, the Carlos Hyde signing is similar to them bringing back Marshawn Lynch last year. Okay, it's more of a oh crap, what if Penny's hurt? and Carson's hurt, you know, and, and we, if we have any other injuries, you know, we're decimated. So I, I think it's more of a depth signing for a guy that 
hey, we know he can get us four yards a carry. We know that he's smart enough to get the offense. We know that there's a little bit of juice left in it. We're going to squeeze that juice for all it's worth um, in a season that we expect to go to the playoffs and hopefully further. So I think it's more of more of that than like, oh, if you know Carson goes down, we're giving this guy 20 carries a game and he's going to be our bell cow. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks so much. We Seriously, man, we appreciate this so much. We appreciate your time. Um, is there any questions that you have for us before we get out of here? Anything at all? No. Uh, for Well, uh, not a question, but a comment. Man, you guys you guys put together a good show. Uh, you guys are entertaining uh, to, to talk with. So uh, keep, keep doing what you guys are doing. I think that just about wraps everything up. We want to thank you, Garrett, for taking the time talking football with us. Thanks to all our listeners for hanging out too. Garrett, once again, is part of the Dynasty Nerds. They're on top of the game. They're one of the best Dynasty podcasts out there. Their film room is absolutely fire. Check it out. You guys probably know them already, but once again, go check out the Dynasty Nerds. Anyway, we drop episodes every week. For more content, go check out at the Dynasty Polls, at Nick Football, at Dynasty Abbott, at Dynasty Clayton, and go check out our guest speaker at Dynasty Price. We actually care about your dynasty team, so feel free to ask us questions. Until next time, peace. you about the uh you know the, the actual hall of fame we've never been we're from jersey okay um but you've been plenty of times before i'm assuming yeah absolutely um uh most recent time i went was about two years ago um and yeah it's really cool man and they're they're adding a lot to it it was kind of basic for a while to be honest but they're they're really working on adding some cool stuff to it um and they're really turning it into like this whole village uh, type of thing so it's going to be sweet by the time it's finished but it's, it's definitely taken a while uh, but then the the school that I played at the college uh, that I played at we played our games uh, at Fawcett Stadium which at the time was the Hall of Fame field and I think it's been renamed now I believe it's Tom Benson Stadium um, but uh, but yeah that was the field that I that I played college football at so that was pretty cool dude that's awesome uh, yeah that's man. crazy dude uh, I got a question for you who's your favorite Hall of Famer of all time? Ooh. That's a really good question. Um, for me, I will probably go... I'm going to probably go with Brian Erlacher. Wow. wow. That's sweet. Wow. Just because I, uh, I played linebacker all through uh, high school and college and so he was a guy that I tried to somewhat emulate my game off of uh, so I was a big fan of his uh, but there's quite a few guys like I was a big Randy Moss fan uh, and oh, man yeah there's so many good options but because of the significance for me as a player I think I would go with him yeah great choice man